coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. So if they're serious about becoming, you know, they, they've chosen that for their career. It's something they're committed to and they want to get better and they have an ambition to build a real estate business that requires them to raise capital from investors on an ongoing basis. Then I would say my answer would be similar to, you know, the Chinese philosopher that was asked when the best time is to plant a tree. This time is today. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Matt Burke, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Fairway America. So you know how when you are searching for investors for your multi-million dollar real estate opportunities, multifamily opportunities, and you're having a hard time, you're hitting roadblock after roadblock, finding people who would be interested in investing in your opportunity. I know that this has happened to us. It it can absolutely be frustrating. So what Matt Burke has done through Fairway America is they've basically pooled together a number of investors that like to invest in opportunities that are with smaller companies that haven't been, uh, that don't necessarily have all of the processes or, or the, the personnel in place to be an institutional type investor. So they offer a number of different services and we get into some of those services in this episode. So if you're someone who's in real estate or looking to scale up your real estate investment career, this is absolutely an episode that you should listen to. Matt's going to enlighten us to a number of different ways to be able to help yourself stand out and realize the best opportunities to gain as much investment as you possibly can. And then, of course, through their services at Fairway America, they can help uh, raise that money, that that capital that you may need for your investment opportunity. So again, fantastic episode, a lot of value here. I hope that you enjoy what Matt has to share with us. I'd say frequent. We ate dinner at home pretty frequently. My parents and my brother and sister, you know, grew up in California, kind of middle-class household and talked a lot of sports. Yeah. You know, talked a little bit about life and what what were the favorite teams growing up? You know, even though I grew up in California, I was a Minnesota Vikings fan. Okay. Strangely, just like the purple uniforms, (laughs) the Los Angeles Dodgers. I grew up in, you know, Southern Cal. So uh, the Dodgers were my baseball team and I, the Atlanta Hawks were basketball because back in those days tbs was uh, the only live basketball you could watch yeah that's great are those are those still the favorites today certainly not the hawks yeah <laughs> i live in portland so i like the blazers more than the hawks but minnesota yes and baseball i don't i've kind of lost interest and 
yeah, really following baseball. That, so that I got to pick a team. I'd say it's the Dodgers, but I really don't care about it much. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So, so growing up, um, you know, obviously you you have uh, great entrepreneurial past. Growing up, did you have any jobs or anything like that that you started yourself? Were you the kid that was selling candy, or you know, did you have you know kind of jobs that you started as a kid? You know, not really. I, uh, no, I mean, I certainly worked, but I, I'd say they were more kind of traditional, you know, jobs here and there. Mm-hmm. And I'd say uh, for me, I didn't really contemplate, you know, actually starting my own business and becoming an entrepreneur until I was probably in my early 20s. So, so yeah, no, I wasn't one of those people that, you know, from the time I can remember, set up my own company. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Trying to get my son to do that, but. Yeah. What are you trying to get your son to get into? Well, he's, he, you know, and he's doing it on his own, but he's doing a little power washing business and mm-hmm. kind of washing driveways and decks and such for people in the neighborhood. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So, so talk a little bit about what made you make that transition. What made you make the leap into wanting to be uh, an entrepreneur, uh, you know, in your 20s? Were you working for someone and just felt you could do it better or what, what was the catalyst for that? Well, the real catalyst was that, uh, you know, I moved to Portland from California in 1991 and to open a branch office for a, it was a financial services company in uh, Portland, which was their first, second out of state, out of California office. And a year after I moved up here in the early 90 SNL crisis, they closed down the vast majority of their offices. So I was freshly in Portland and, you know, the company closed up. They offered me a job to come back to California and collect loans and that kind of thing, but I didn't want to do that. So it was either find a job or, you know, I had sort of contemplated that I might want to do something on my own someday, And but the circumstances kind of foisted upon me. And we sublet the space that I had spent several months negotiating on behalf of the company I worked for. We bought the brand new furniture that that I had, you know, went out and bought for the company for about 10 cents on the dollar. And we borrowed, uh, I borrowed 10 grand from American General Finance Company at 21% interest and bought a computer and we were in business. So that's great. That's great. And, yeah. and was that, was that Fairway at that point? Or yeah, it was, yeah, it was the, the, the original name of the company was Fairway Financial Services Inc. But, but yes, it was Fairway in 1992. Wow. Wow. So you've been doing that quite a while. That's great. Yeah, yeah, twenty-eight years. Yeah. So, what what was what, when you hung your shingle as Fairway? Were you basically doing the same thing that you're doing today, or are you you know have you shifted a little bit over the years? Oh, we've yeah, we've shifted. I mean, we've grown and shifted enormously over the years. But yeah, yes. I mean, so I mean, I certainly cut my teeth doing what we were doing then, but it's what we do today is much more sophisticated and complex. But but you know, it's it's all real estate finance oriented. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and talk, a little, talk a little bit about what you do do at Fairway today. We're really a, a co-sponsor of real estate deals. So we provide uh, an element of the, of the infrastructure that a real estate sponsor needs to have, but oftentimes can't build out internally and combine with them to to effectively do real estate deals in the middle market space. So we, we're involved heavily in the capital structure, the capital acquisition, the underwriting of the transactions, and then ultimately the investor relations work 
So a lot of the back office capital side of the equation mm-hmm. and our sponsor partners, uh, co-sponsors do a lot of the front end work. So they'll identify the property, you know, negotiate the sale, you know, hire the construction, do the, you know, do whatever work is necessary, do the leasing and the management of the property and, and all of that. Got combined, it. we, we allow investors to really get into a, a fragmented space, which is, you know, the sub-institutional size below the radar of the, of the really big institutions, which is very fragmented, very inefficient. And there's, there's a lot of opportunity there, but it's hard for institutions to penetrate down into that, into that size range. Got it. Got it. So who would be your ideal type of client? Who would want, who would you want to have come to you? Well, if you, I mean, there's, it's a kind of a dual sided platform, Matt. So there's, you know, on the sponsor side, it would be a local or regional real estate professional who acquires commercial real estate projects of one sort or another, you know, acquires and manages them and owns them, you know, and runs them for a profit. So it's maybe a mid-sized group, you know, anywhere from five to 20 employees in, in any major market in the United States. So uh, it's a nationwide platform. Um, and the, but there are really high quality and high caliber real estate professionals in basically every market uh, in, and in that middle market space. And, and people who don't have, they haven't reached enough scale and size that they've built out the internal you know, the vertical integration of the capital market side as thoroughly as they would like. So that, that would be an ideal sponsor client. On the investor side, dual-sided platform, the ideal would be a, a, a family. I mean, there's, there's a range of investors from the high net worth investor credited putting in, you know, a few hundred thousand all the way up to, you know, very institutional investors putting in tens of million or more. Uh, but I'd say the ideal would be a, a family office you know, with a sizable net worth that, that wants to be involved in the real estate space, but doesn't have the infrastructure to go out and identify those sponsors directly themselves and and can use a group like ours to help them access that product. Got it. Got it. So what types of structure do you use when you're putting these, these things together? Are you guys coming in as, as preferred equity or, you know, what, what, what types of things do you typically put together on most of the deals that you do? It's a variety of structures. I mean, we've done a lot of pooled funds where, where the investors are coming into a vehicle and they're providing the manager with discretionary authority to decide which deals to acquire, you know, within the framework of some investment mandate that's specified up front in an offering uh, memorandum, or we'll do them on an individual basis where you're matching one or more investors to a specific deal or transaction. So anywhere from uh, that, would, you know, I'd call that a syndication. So we might find a single investor or multiple investors to come into a one-off syndication, or in some cases we'll form specific investment vehicles around a certain strategy where they come into a pool and, and allow the manager to have discretion over the acquisition and disposition of those assets. So it, it varies depending on the sponsor and the investor. Got it. What are some of the common mistakes that you see people making when they approach you? What, what, what would give them the best chance to have you want to do business with them, I guess? You know, it, it's, it's really all over the map, Matt, in terms of, you know, what, where people are in the progression of their business, you know. But I would say there's a, there's a misconception on the part of many 
small and middle market real estate people around what a fund is and means. You know, a fund is aspirational, right? Because it, it allows the real estate entrepreneur to have discretion over which deals they're acquiring without having to get the investor's specific approval for every single deal. Mm-hmm. Now, the latter becomes very cumbersome if you're doing any volume of deals, right? You got to get somebody to say yes for every single transaction, mm-hmm. as opposed to if you put a fund together and they come into that fund, they're, they're putting the money in and then you have the money there to go out and make the decisions without having to get their approval on every single deal. Yeah. So there a lot of people want to set up a pooled investment fund, but I would say if I had a, you know, this is a broad generalization, but there's a, that would be the, probably the number one thing that I think people are either confused about or don't understand as well that somehow magically, if you set up a fund, then the money's there mm-hmm. and now you've got the money to go make deals with. And reality is it's probably harder to raise money in a fund because the investor's not picking and choosing which deal they're putting their money into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that's probably the number one misconception I would say exists with, with sponsors. Got it. And and so basically you sort of are the, I guess the, the middle person there that's filtering out all of the different deals and you're, you're basically qualifying the deals that you would utilize the funds resources to invest into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a bit nuanced for sure. And, you know, frankly, sometimes it's hard for us to, you know, accurately describe to one side or the other of this dual-sided market, you know, exactly what it is. And Mm -hmm. I think people will confuse us from time to time with, you know, like, what are you? Are you a sponsor? Are you a placement agent? Are you a you know, an advisor or a consultant or, you know, what are you? And it's like, well, we're a bit of all of the above. But if I had to say, you know, what, what I believe the value proposition is that we bring to the table is for, for the sponsor, it's doing the parts of the business that they like the least and they generally have the lowest skill set in, which is the, the capital structure, the raising the money, the investor relation you know, the back office, the accounting, the admin, all the, the real estate people generally, they just want to go do real estate. You know, they want to go kick the tires, kick the dirt, look at the property, negotiate the deal, you know, hire the contractor, do the leasing, sell the property and move on. All the other stuff that goes along with it is. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. Not their favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we bring that to the table for the sponsor. For the investor, it's a different value proposition. And, and particularly for the institutional investor, 
they have a hard, they just won't come down into the middle market space all that often if they're dealing directly with the sponsor, unless that sponsor is fully vertically integrated and is institutional enough that they can justify dealing with them based on the amount of time it takes mm-hmm. you know, to underwrite something. And that, that pretty much means then they have to be of a certain magnitude and size to even have a conversation in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're just not going to come in and, and write a $5 million check or a $10 million check. If it's not 50 or a hundred, they don't even want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. They, so for the institutional investor, we enable them to come into a market that generally can produce higher returns with less competitive pressures from other institutions in a, in a way that they can feel comfortable with because we bring that vertical integration to middle market sponsors who aren't far enough in their progression to, to possess it themselves, right? They don't have the, either the expertise and the, I mean, there's a lot of overhead, you know, to hire all those people. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered that well, yeah, but no. that's, Absolutely. that's what I think is the value that we bring to either side of the aisle. What would you say is the, the minimum type of project. And so, I, I mean, you mentioned before, there's all types of different projects. I mean, obviously there's commercial, there's, uh, you know, retail, there's mm-hmm. multifamily. I'm assuming you play in all of the above. We and do. what what would be the minimums that you would look at for these types of projects? I guess minimums and maximums. Yeah, I mean, if, I mean, I'd say it'd be a bell curve, Matt. So, I mean, you know, on the low end, I mean, we would certainly look at something for a million bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, or if, if the total check size was probably as low as half a million or a million or two, we would look at it. I mean, on the high end, and that this number is increasing as we continue to gain more traction in the institutional space, but 50 or 100 million. Okay. You know, and I'd say five to 25 million would be a, would be, you know, where the peak of the bell curve would, would be, you know, mm-hmm. the most sweet spot would be there. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. What would you say, what would you suggest to people that are looking for these types, this type of help? Again, I, I'm, what, what a lot of people struggle with that I've, I've seen is, you know, basically reaching out in a way that, you know, gets your attention. Is it, is it pretty well where, where you'll look at every deal that comes across the, the table or is there a way to be able to present it in a, you know, in a, a fashion that sort of, piques your interest a little bit more, if that makes sense? Um, yeah, it does. But I would say for us, I mean, we have another business called Veravest, which is a fund administration company, and it has other ways that it provides value to the entrepreneurs and sponsors, that, that particularly on the smaller end. I mean, people that are just starting out or, you know, aren't quite as you know built out yet. Mm-hmm. So if somebody inquired with us, we would we we generally will get back to everybody very quickly on the investment side if they're looking for money which most of them are you know it's got to be sizable enough to justify you know the time it takes to underwrite somebody which you know it's time consuming especially the first deal right you've never done something with somebody it, it takes a while to to get to know them and if there's time pressure you know they've got it under contract and they got to close in 30 days and i've never heard of them before the chances of us getting the finish line you know in that time frame are pretty low yeah 
yeah. depend if it's equity if it's debt you know we can do that very quickly because there you're just lending based on the value of the property and you know you don't have to do as much homework but if it's on the veravest side i'd say that's more of a consulting engagement where we're that business is designed to try to help people understand how to develop better capital structures how to make themselves more appealing to investors generally mm-hmm. and and i'd say particularly for newer younger less developed companies i feel like veravest has a great deal of assistance to offer them in terms of just not necessarily giving them capital but helping them understand what it takes to attract capital whether it's from fairway or anybody else right so i mean I, we're we're very i think i like to think we're very approachable around you know th- there's a variety of ways in which we can engage with somebody to help them depending on where they are i mean one of the phrases i use is you know we'll, we try to meet them where they are mm-hmm. you know that doesn't yeah. mean we can do something for everybody but we'll at least explore it and if there's a mutual fit we'll try to help them if there's not we'll be very upfront and tell them as quickly as possible that it's not a fit and try to point them in the right direction if we can. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you kind of touched on some of the timings there as well. So at, at what point would you suggest someone reach out to you? Obviously, you know, this is probably just like any other real estate transaction. It's very relationship based. Uh, so at what point should they reach out and start making that relationship? Obviously, if they already have something under contract, you know, it might be a little bit too late. Is there, is there a step that you can suggest that they would take you know, prior to having something under contract or you basically want to have something under contract first before you would? I would encourage them to reach out to us even before that, particularly because there are other ways, Matt, that we could help them besides just giving them money, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're serious about becoming, you know, they, they've chosen that for their career, it's something they're committed to and they want to get better and they have an ambition to build a real estate business that requires them to raise capital from investors on an ongoing basis, then I would say my answer would be similar to, you know, the Chinese philosopher that was asked when the best time is to plant a tree. Mm-hmm. You know, his answer was right well, 20 years ago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But the second best time is today. Right. right. So if they're, if they really are committed to that, then, you know, we, we, we feel like we can help them, understand what it takes to become a successful real estate entrepreneur. I mean, we're not the, there's a lot of groups out there that can help the kind of, you know, the person that's working at the company and, you know, buying or flipping houses on the side or doing small notes on a one-off basis in their IRA account or something. That's not really the kind of person I'm talking about. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're talking about people who this is what they do for a living. Mm -hmm. They have their own business or company and they're, they're buying property, they're making loans, they're acquiring distressed debt or whatever their strategy is, but this is their job, their company, and they have to raise money from people on an ongoing basis to be successful. That's our target audience. Got it. Got it. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Can you, I, obviously we're, we're sort of just coming out of the, you know, the black swan COVID, uh, COVID event. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing on the real estate market now because of that event? Yeah, I think it's even before COVID, I would say I always answer about that, that real estate, it is, it's not a single market. It's a collection of a great deal of micro markets. 
right? There are different re geographic regions, different sizes, different categories of assets, and then subcategories of assets, right? So retail or multi or storage or industrial or office or, uh, and then each one of those you'd have class A and class B and you have gateway markets and secondary and tertiary. So there's all kinds of sub-markets. So there is no like you know, broad answer to that question. But if I, if I just the simplest way I think to look at it, if I broke them down by category broadly, you know, multi-family, I think is going to hold up very well. You know, again, pockets, some things will be hurt worse than others. You know, perhaps some class A, very expensive stuff that was getting built that had crazy rent growth assumptions that probably don't happen now mm -hmm. gets hurt. But, you know, a class B or C in a suburban market for a, you know, workforce type housing, I think holds up incredibly well. Industrial, I think benefits ultimately from COVID. A lot of repatriation of uh, manufacturing from offshore, a, a trend toward warehousing, more inventory, mm -hmm. rather than relying on just-in-time because, you know, in a case like this, it's gone. Mm -hmm. So I think industrial does well. Office, there's a lot of mixed feelings about what happens to office going forward. You know, so I think the jury's out on office. I have my personal opinion and, and so do a lot of other people, but I think you probably see the widest disparity of opinions in that asset class. Mm -hmm. Retail, I think, is going to go through a fundamental metamorphosis over the next 10 years or so as more and more goes online and, you know, malls struggle and you're just going to see a lot of repositioning. So I think you're seeing a systemic sort of fundamental change that will be gradual and slow in retail. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously been hurt badly with the, you know, mandatory closures of a lot of businesses that are in these retail. I mean, there's been a trend toward experiential retail, you know, away from, you know, these big box, try to be everything to everybody type facilities. And that's just being accelerated now, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then hospitality, of course, has gotten hammered the worst in the short run, you know, but I think that'll bounce back once people can start traveling again. And I mean, it'll have a deep dive, but it's not going through the same fundamental shifts that retail is in my opinion. So, uh, you know, it's super interesting to see some benefit, some get hurt. There's going to be situational opportunities, in my opinion, that sometimes will have nothing to do with the property and everything to do with this, you know, situation of the owner of that property, you know, who's in a position where they're forced to sell. So I think you're going to see over the next several years, a lot of buying opportunities that at prices that just flat out didn't exist in the last six, seven years when everything was just going up and up and up. Yeah. Um, so interesting times to be, to be sure. So in, in your, cause you've, you've gone through a couple of these types of cycles now in your mm -hmm. opinion, is there, you, you kind of just touched on it a little bit. Do you think that there's, and of course nobody can predict the future, but do you think that there's a, uh, a window where, you know, you're really going to start seeing a lot of those opportunities come to the market that, you know, weren't there certainly, you know, six months ago, but how long does it take? And again, this is a very, very unique situation, but how long would you feel that it would take before you start to see a lot of those types of opportunities? Is it, you know, a year? Is it three years? Is it, you know, any, any thoughts there at all? Yeah, I, I do think it depends on the asset class. I think you'll see more opportunities more quickly in things that are getting hurt the worst. Mm -hmm. So hospitality, there's already, you know, blood in the water in a lot of cases, and you're seeing 
things come to market. Um, although, you know, the, the reasonably well capitalized people are able to hang on because they're getting a lot of forbearance from lenders and mm-hmm. things like that. But um, I think you'll see that the fastest retail. I think you'll see opportunities in the next year or two. Uh, as you will in office. I think short run, there'll be a few opportunities in industrial, but I don't think it's going to get hurt as badly. And I think unlike the last, the last downturn, there was a lot of fundamental weakness in the economy. Now it happened a lot more slowly. And uh, so you could kind of see it coming a little bit more than you could this time around. But I think this time you're going to see more situational distress where, you know, people are forced into a position where they have to do something, sell the property when they really don't want to in a, mm-hmm. in a buyer's market. And, but I think it's going to be less with, with some exceptions, I think it'll be less predictable as to where that's coming from. So it, it's, I've had a lot of people ask me, you think it's, you know, worse or better, you know, or more deep, more deep or not as deep as the last time around. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably be as deep or deeper, but different in terms of just how it came about. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just was sudden and rapid in this case, and the last one was more systemic and slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So so you've also authored a book, Capital Attraction. Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why you wrote that book and who that book is best for? Yeah. I, you know, I, I wrote it to the target audience I described a few minutes ago, the, the person who is running a, is committed to running a real estate-based, asset-based business that acquires real estate assets, whether that's directly owning the property or owning the debt against the property, that requires that person to raise capital from investors and manage that capital on their behalf and do that on an ongoing basis. That's kind of what my, at the time, I defined that as, you know, a small balance real estate entrepreneur is someone who runs a real estate asset-based business that requires them on a repeated basis to have to go raise money from others. That Then the bigger you get, the more you have to raise money from people you don't know. You know, how do you go out and do that on a regular basis if you're not an institutional size shop? That, that's the target audience for that book. And I wrote it largely, Matt, out of my own experience of, you know, because that's, I am that guy, right? I mean, that's what I did when I started the company. We started raising money from private investors to put them into real estate loans mm-hmm. and matching them up one at a time and eventually starting a fund and, you know, all that learning and all that experience and, you know, the battle scars that you go through in doing that and all that I've learned of just trying to help other people understand, you know, at least as best I can what that means and what that's like. And and that's who the book was written for. Got it. That's, that's great. That's great. So, so Matt, this has been fantastic. If, if people want to learn more about you or your services, what would you say the best way to, to learn more about that is, or, or get in touch with you? You certainly go to our website, which is fairwayamerica.com. You can certainly reach out to me. What I'll end up doing is passing you to Kellen. So I'll maybe give you Kellen, but uh, our Kellen's worked with me for close to 15 years now. He's our director of strategic accounts and he's kind of the frontline guy on uh, working with new sponsors and entrepreneurs. And his name is Kellen, K-E-L-L-E-N dot Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S at fairwayamerica.com. And, uh, 
Kellen and I work real close together and he's, he'll, he'll respond very quickly. So love it. So go to the website and reach out to Kellen. Perfect. Perfect. I appreciate this, Matt. This has been, uh, this has been fantastic. It's always interesting uh, hearing people who have been in the business for, for quite some time and, and, you know, hearing their experiences and, you know, how they've shifted and grown over the years. So, so really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Matt. I appreciate what you're doing, trying to, you know, help people understand the entrepreneurial journey and all that. It's been near and dear to my heart. And uh, I'll give a quick plug for one of the things that's helped me the most over the years. I joined a group called Entrepreneurs Organization. I don't know if you're familiar with EO. EO. Yeah, yep. Used to be YEO, Young Entrepreneurs Organization, until everybody got too old and they had to drop the Y. But, (laughs) you know, that's where I've learned a great deal and probably the organization that's you know, meant the most to me in terms of helping me, helping me deal with the whole entrepreneurial journey. So I admire what you're doing and I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. I love it. I love it. No, I appreciate it. Thanks, Pat. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.